93.7 Express FM. Hello and welcome to the final edition of the Coronavirus Special Podcast. On the show this week, we spoke to Gerald Vernon Jackson, leader of Portsmouth City Council, where we reflected on the last four months of lockdown. We were also finding out how the University of Portsmouth is planning for the return of students in the autumn. We had Professor Paul Hayes, the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of the University of Portsmouth, on the show. We also discussed the reopening of gyms. Associate Professor Adam Hawkey talks us through how is best to prepare for going back to the gym and of course we get your lockdown stories on the show as well a little bit later on so we'll kick off the show with our first guest who is leader of Portsmouth City Council Gerald Vernon Jackson I took him through some of the stats as we had them at the time that this was broadcast on the 29th of July take you uh, finally through some of the figures that I have to hand this evening and we'll kick off with some positive news uh, in the care home uh, sector and the most recent data that we've got from the Care Quality Commission, care homes in the Hampshire County Council area, the Portsmouth City Council area and the Southampton City Council area uh, recorded no COVID-19 deaths between July the 18th and July the 24th. That is the first time that all three of those areas have reported no deaths in care homes linked to the virus since April the 10th when those records started. No new COVID-19 deaths at QA Hospital in seven weeks as well. Uh, there have been 508 confirmed cases in the city of Portsmouth with a rate of 236.1 cases per 100,000 resident population. So for the final time this evening, let's welcome in leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson. Good evening. Good evening. Shall we just briefly, I want to try and uh, reflect if we can for most of our chat this evening, but just briefly those figures. Good news about care homes. We are still seeing a little bit of a rise in cases. Uh, well, the the number you've given, the number per 100,000, is a cumulative case. The number of people who've tested positive in the last week um, in Portsmouth was two. Um, so we, we've got to be careful. We don't think of all the cumulative cases over the four months as all being um, infectious now. Um, it's, the, the infection rates in Portsmouth are very, very low. We're the safest major city in the country for COVID infection. Sure. And, and do, you, do you still believe that there's, do you think there's going to be a second wave coming? I don't know if it's going to be a second wave. I think in the, the risk of infection remains. Um, we've seen in other countries where they've relaxed lockdown maybe a little too fast, that those infection rates have grown. And there's some evidence in Europe that they may be younger people who are particularly prone, maybe because they've got back together with their mates quicker. Um, I just think we have to be careful. And there is now a new normal mm-hmm. that you wear a mask when you go shopping. You keep a distance from people. You don't shake hands. You don't kiss people. Um, and and those things, I think, probably have changed for quite a while. We don't have a vaccine. There's nothing that we've got that can protect us from this virus, except if we do the social distancing that we now all know works. So we're in this we're in this new normal, and it feels like... It feels like things are changing less regularly than they were yeah. maybe a couple of months ago. You know, it wasn't the sort of the daily, you know, oh, we can do this, we can do that. How are you, I think it's giving us all a chance to, to actually sit down and reflect a little bit on the yeah. past few months. How are you reflecting on it? I think two things. I, 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 I always used to go to London at least once a week for a day for, for different meetings of different organisations. And I'm not sure there's the need to do that. Um, anymore. Uh, last week I got called in at four minutes notice 
to chair a conference and to do an opening speech because the chair hadn't turned up. Um, and I could do that at four minutes' notice for 260 people around the country um, with the Chief Executive of Sport England. So I think we've learned that technology means that we don't need to travel as much and that maybe we could work in different ways. Um, and I also think it's meant that lots of us have Lots of us have actually valued working from home and seeing more of our families. Um, and I think that will change how some people work in the future. Got, uh, you mentioned how, how good in relation to other parts of the UK uh, our sort of infection rates have been. Are you proud of Portsmouth? Yeah, I'm incredibly proud of how, how hard people have worked here to keep themselves, keep their friends, keep their families, keep their neighbours safe and to support them in this really difficult time. Uh, I think people in the city on the whole have behaved incredibly well, um, and, and we've seen the results of that, that our infection rates are, are really low. We've got the, with the, the, the lowest rate of infection of any major city in the country. So I, th I think people have been absolutely excellent, really good. Uh, it, not everybody inevitably, but but we've managed to keep this under control here in Portsmouth. And and from that that local point of view, have you have you achieved everything that you you sort of set out to achieve? I remember you had things like the twelve point plan. Have things yeah. sort of gone as well as you had hoped they would have? No, I, I think there's some things that haven't worked. Uh, I think things in care homes have been very poor, uh, and I think that's a real piece of learning for everybody out of this. Is that we exported the problem out of hospitals and into care homes because the NHS could say to care homes, you will take this person, you had three hours to do it, we haven't tested them, we don't know if they've got COVID, but you've got to have them. Uh, and I think that's a real piece of learning that the whole country is going to have to do, uh, and, and Portsmouth as much as anywhere else. Um, I, th I think that's going to be one of the very big takeaways out of this. I think the other one is we... I think our understanding of what a key worker is has changed dramatically as well. The person who who's keeping the co-op going mm. is as much a key worker as somebody who's a surgeon. Um, and we have depended on all of these people to make our to keep our lives as close to normal as they are. What's been the biggest challenge? Do you think? I, I think probably the biggest challenge has been the isolation that some people have felt that they have been too scared to go out, particularly if they're in the high-risk groups and they live on their own. I think that's been very difficult. Um, and I think that's going to have an effect for, for years to come, that people have lost the confidence to go out and about. You, you think that will stay with people for a long time? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 because there is no cure for this. And, and we know that for people in the high-risk groups, if they get it, it's really, really bad. So I think there will be changes in, in people's habits. People will go shopping less often. People will go out less often. People won't take the bus as much. So I think for, for those groups of people, there's going to be big changes. And for for Portsmouth City Council going forward uh, in the next few months of course we don't know we don't know what that'll hold but what will the aims be going forward for, for you for Portsmouth City Council what should people expect to, to see well I think 
we'll continue to try to support people throughout the city as much as we possibly can. We're going to have to relook at our budgets because the government hasn't uh, kept their promise to, to provide funding that that's required and needed. Um, so we've got to look through, and I've got to find between ten and twenty million pounds to to bridge the gap that they haven't funded. So that means some some building projects may not happen. Uh, we'll have to dip into our savings accounts. Um, but we will continue to try to make sure that we provide the services that people need uh, and make sure that they're not lonely and isolated. Do you think we'll, 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 we'll be able to get through it without the... Well, you mentioned that from the financial side of things. Is it possible for Portsmouth to be able to do that? Yes, it's possible, but it just means other things won't happen. Hmm. If we've spent the money on one thing, you can't spend it on another. Sure. Um, so there will be projects that won't happen because of this, uh, and that's a that's disappointing. Um, but we will we will try always to balance a mixture between what people want and what people need. And what would your just finally what would your your advice be to 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 everyone in the city? A <laughs> big big question. Oh, but what what would you advise people for the coming months and the, and and coming years, let, however long let, this might be? Let, let's see if we can keep that spirit of supporting neighbours, supporting friends, supporting family, and, and remembering where we are all part of a community. Uh, and that community is really strong and has done brilliant work. And you think, you think we'll be all right? <laughs> I think so, yes. I think people, our infection rates are so, so small now that um, I think it's a good indicator that it's, it's really safe in Portsmouth. Uh, we can't be complacent. Uh, we've got to keep doing the social distancing to keep, keep us safe. But I think sometimes you also deserve a bit of a pat on the back. Sure. Well, Gerald, it's been a, it's been a proper uh, privilege for us to be able to chat to you every week. We felt very lucky. So thank you for giving up. Thank you. And for... anything else I can help with, just give us a call. Thanks, Gerald. We appreciate your time throughout lockdown and uh, I'll let you get back to your Wednesday evening. Enjoy. Cheers then. Thanks. Bye. Getting you home with Aqua Cars, the driving force in Portsmouth. Download the app to book and track your taxi in the App Store and Google Play. The University of Portsmouth, of course, they will be planning the autumn term as we speak uh, for the return of students. Students not been in, of course, for about four months or so since lockdown began. And let's talk all about it uh, to the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of the University of Portsmouth, Professor Paul Hayes. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's nice to have you on. Um, let, let, let's start sort of back in March, shall we? When we first uh, when we first went into lockdown, what were the uh, sort of what was the initial reaction from the university and the first sort of steps that you took um, when you first heard the news about what what was going to be happening in this country? Well, our first uh, priority was to uh, get teaching materials online so that the students could continue with their studies through to the end of the um, the academic year. So get the teaching materials online and uh, think about how we would uh, assess the students' progress. So there was a lot of work at that point to move a whole lot of stuff that would normally be delivered face-to-face um, online. <laughs> and, and how was that for sort of for the staff? Because, of course, I mean, a lot of... Uh, am I right in saying that there are a lot of online materials sort of throughout the year anyway? But, but I imagine, you know, the amount that you had to move on was, was a lot of work for, for the staff and for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, it was a huge amount for for everyone to do. I mean, uh, you're quite right. There is a lot of online support material available for for all of the courses that that we teach. 
but of course that online material by and large is there to um, to balance and supplement what we teach face to face and so the challenge was that uh, you know it was going to be all online now so it's not just there to to as a support for the students to as I say to supplement what they're doing in the classroom but it is as the main mode of delivery so you know that was the main the main change which um as you can imagine, is quite substantial. Of course, yeah. And and what was the what was the response like from uh, from the students? Because of course, of course, you know, university life, you do a lot of independent learning anyway. What what was their response and their sort of the the general gist of uh, of the reaction? By and large, the reaction was was extremely positive. I mean, there were a number of students, obviously, who you know, in the home situation, may not have had great internet um, access may not have had a quiet space in which to study and so we sort of immediately tried to put into place support mechanisms for those students so we had an extensive laptop loan scheme and we passed out I believe they're called dongles which would uh, give them access to the internet where they didn't have a uh, good internet connection so for most students I think it was a fairly smooth transition and as you say they're of course used to a lot of independent learning but for some where there were technological problems um, we, we put in place support for them as quickly as we could. Uh, and where are we where are we now obviously four months uh, since the lockdown began just over four months um, are we in are we sort of we're, we're in the middle of the of the the summer break at the moment aren't we? Um, pretty much some of the students still have some uh, some coursework and assessments to to complete um, and of course, some students are taught all year anyway, so many postgraduate students are, are being taught all through the summer. Um, but our main focus at the moment is in, in terms of uh, preparing the online materials for the start of the, the new academic year, which we've pushed back slightly to the uh, 5th of October. So, um, so we have decided that uh, in the period before Christmas, at least, we won't be doing any um, face-to-face large group teaching. So that means we won't be doing any any big lectures or anything of that sort. So all of that material is being reconfigured so that it's appropriately delivered online. And at the same time, we will <coughs> excuse me, we will um, be trying to deliver as much face-to-face teaching as we can, small group teaching, you know, laboratories, workshops, uh, and studio-type work, as much of that as we can, because we know that you know, students value being part of a learning community and being here on campus and learning alongside others face-to-face is, uh, is an important part of uh, university life. Sure. So we want to preserve as much of that as possible. Yeah, and what, who, who do you think that it will have sort of the biggest effect on the, the fact that, you know, up until Christmas they're not going to have, uh, we say that there will be some sort of small groups and things like that, but, but who do you think it will affect most? Will it be sort of the, the, the students that are arriving? Will it be certain, um, certain courses, certain departments? What do you reckon that will happen? Um, actually, I think the group that may be most affected are, um, are the overseas students who may find it difficult to travel to Portsmouth early in the new academic year. So they will need to be um, supported fully online. And of course, any, uh, any UK-based uh, students who you know, are self-isolating um, for, a, for a number of very good reasons, again, they will uh, need to be supported online. So you know, I think they will be the ones that are most affected. Um, but you know, lots of courses are 
very, very practical um, and uh, practically based. And they require a lot of time spent in laboratories, workshops, studios and such things. And they just won't get the same amount of time, I think, um, during this first teaching period as they would normally expect. And uh, we need to look at how we uh, boost that later. And, of course, one group of students that will be very significantly affected are those students who would be going out on exchange years to, to other countries and so on, which we just cannot accommodate uh, at the moment. It wouldn't be right to um, to build up their expectations about being able to go anywhere before Christmas. Uh, um, so w- w- with that, is it likely that it will just be delayed or, or it will be cancelled full stop? Um, in some cases, it will be de- delayed. It depends where it occurs within their um, academic program. So in some cases, it will be delayed. In some cases, we will just have to replace it with a different type of experience that gives them the same the same outcomes that uh, they would have achieved uh, and how how difficult has it been to try and um uh, try and sort of well, re- the right word recruit students but for prospective students and for those looking to begin their undergraduate um courses and things like that how hard has it been to to sort of um on the uptake you know knowing that they're going to start sort of you know no one a lot of people have said recently that they don't want to start a job um working from home how hard has it been for the students how many students have you found sort of not wanting to begin a course from home as such um well we haven't actually seen any um any real increase in what we would call the deferral rate so when we've made an offer to a student they would come back to us and say actually i want to wait a year Mm. and we've really got no more students doing that or no more applicants doing that this year than, than in previous years so we're not seeing a big a big increase at all in students deciding to take that uh, that gap if you like between the end of their existing studies and coming to to us at the university um, but it's, it is a very uh, challenging year for recruitment we're confident that uh, we will still have it, have students coming to us in the sorts of numbers um, that we were expecting um, as I say, except perhaps um, international students. Um, but for all, all classes of students, you know, there's uncertainty. You know, when, you, when you're um, embarking on a new adventure in life, you want to know pretty much what it's going to be like. And um, mm-hmm. you know, we just can't provide that certainty at the moment. And indeed, I think no sector of society um, can be given much certainty about anything uh, at the moment. But, but we're trying to be as... Um, definitive as possible of course and and just before we let you go of course the the university of portsmouth plays a i think a bigger part in the community than than a lot of you know other universities do do you do you think that this is going to be affected i mean hopefully only in the short term but it's probably going to be affected a little bit do you think um well we're going to try and make sure that it isn't <laughs> affected but i mean inevitably um, you know, we have a lot of students that go out in volunteering-type activities, as indeed do many of our staff, and, and some of those will be curtailed where it involves sort of visiting people in, you know, in, um, in, in situations where it's, it's very difficult to maintain the social distancing and all of the other new norms that we have to observe. So, you know, we are very proud to be part of Portsmouth, and, you know, we want to actually increase what we're doing with the city and we will work hard to ensure that we're able to do that and we're working with partners across 
across the city, as I'm sure you've seen the new announcement about the um, hospital trust today. Um, so, yeah. It, sure. Yeah. Well, it's um, our, our fingers are crossed for you for the for the fifth of October. I hope all goes well in the in the build up to it and when things kick off as well. So, thanks for thanks so much for chatting to us, uh, Paul, and speak soon. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye. That's Professor Paul Hayes, Deputy Vice-Chancellor of the University of Portsmouth. A big good luck to them when they reopen on the 5th of October. Right, already reopened are indoor gyms. They got the go-ahead to reopen on Saturday, just gone. Uh, and we're going to talk about that now to someone that's been on the show a couple of times throughout the last few months. Associate Professor Adam Hawkey, Head of Sports Science and Performance at the at Solent University, also Deputy Chair of the British Association of Sports and Exercise Sciences. Welcome back to the show, Adam. Hi there, Robbie. Good. Thanks for having me on again. Nice to have you on. It's a big, it feels like a big week this week um, because it happened finally uh, at the weekend. The gyms reopened, the indoor gyms, and uh, and, it, and it felt like a mo- sort of a monumentous moment because I know so many people have been waiting so long for them to finally open. Yeah, that's really, that's right. I mean, we've, you know, we've been in lockdown for what, three months now. So, and we've spoken previously about the importance of exercise and physical activity to both our mental and our physical health and, you know, the negative and in some ways the positive effect that lockdown has had on kind of our exercise behaviour. And I think with the reopening of gyms and fitness centres, um, it's a good time to chat about, um, you know, what that's going to mean for people, both those kind of returning after a period away, you know, those avid gym goers that have <laughs> kind of missed the buzz and the excitement of going to the gym. Um, and perhaps those who've maybe been inspired to, to get a bit more active during this kind of lockdown period who might be going out there for the, for the first time and venturing into a gym for the first time. Yeah, so so let's talk talk about this then because a lot of people um a lot of people I've spoken to that they that they, they miss the gym and and they haven't actually done much much exercise at all. They go to the gym all the time, but when they've been closed they they've not really wanted to do any exercise unless it's in a in a gym. What 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 do people have to do now to prepare themselves for for going back to the gym? And obviously there's a big risk of injury which we'll come on to in a second, but what's the best thing that people can do to prepare themselves? Yeah, sure, you're right. I mean, there's, you know, there's different kinds of people, aren't they? Some people who, you know, will, will only train at the gym, you know, that's their kind of safe space, if you like, and yeah. they like using the equipment. There's other people that have maybe you kind of adapted. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate that throughout this lockdown, I've got a garden, I've got some weights at home. You know, I don't have a treadmill or anything like that, but we've been encouraged to go walking and running, so that's been fine. Um, but, there, you know, like I say, there's people that just have to go to the gym. So to be away for three or four months, away from their kind of full training routine, and would have been really, really hard on them. Um, you know, we've, we've all been trying, I guess, in some ways to, to adapt in, you know, in, where we can and have, you know, reinforce those good habits, so trying to eat healthily and sleep well. But even then, we still would have lost some fitness during this lockdown period. So I think it's important for those that are potentially going back to the gym after this period of time, you know, think, just to be aware that things aren't going to be exactly the same. You know, even if you've been training during this time, um, you will have lost some fitness. Um, so the important thing to think about when you're going back is if you were going training two or three times a week before, then by all means, you know, get back into that routine. And we've spoken before about routine being really crucial. But it's important to think about reducing the kind of session duration that you might have and also the intensity. So to give you an example of that, that might be reducing the weights that you're using, at least initially, um, because it's really important that you try to trigger your muscle memory. So all our muscles have kind of memory in them that remember the technique or, um, or emotion. And we, we need to encourage that good technique. So going in and, you know, doing your chest presses at 50 kilograms, 
that you used to do might not be the same, so therefore drop those weights a little bit, and that will reduce some of the risk on kind of musculoskeletal injury because we're more likely to injure when our technique's poor. Um, and after such a long time away, that could be you know a, a really big factor. Absolutely. Um, I think if sorry, I think if you're if you're starting to go to the gym for the first time, then if you haven't been able to try doing some exercises first before you go to the gym at home. So you know press ups, um, sit ups, things that you can do um, at home um, that you can then start to take it slowly when you get into into the training um, at, at the gym environment. And I think particularly for those that are starting training perhaps think about doing some exercises that combine muscle groups. Um, so things like chest press and shoulder press, they work the shoulders and the, and, and the triceps, for example. Uh, a seated row or, or a lat pull-down will also work the biceps. So rather than isolating muscles on their own, which increases that risk of injury and loading, they, then try things that, that work different muscle groups at the same time. What about frequency of, of going to the gym? Because a lot of people obviously sort of go, you know, uh, maybe go once, once a week, twice a week, seven times a week. Is frequency an important factor as well? Yeah, I think to start off with, um, you know, start slowly. Um, so if, if you've never been before, then just go once or twice a week. If you're a regular gym user that's been missing out, then as I've said, maybe go as many times as you used to, but just reduce that level of duration you're there for. You may be limited anyway, and we'll come on to some of the things that people need to prepare about for going to gyms in a minute. But, you know, you may be limited by the gym anyway. They may only allow you to go in for an hour so that they can maximize numbers going in. So maybe reduce the intensity and the duration, but, but keep that kind of regularity going. Um, you know, I, th- I think for key things for people going back to the gym is, you know, first of all, make sure that you warm up sufficiently. So um, this raises your kind of blood flow prepares the body mentally and physically for exercise. And if you're going to do some weights, I've already mentioned do lower weights anyway, but start off even lower weights to get your muscles that are doing that exercise into that routine before you actually start throwing that heavy weights away. Something that your listeners, and you may not heard of, is something called DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. Uh, and this occurs after exercise. It can be reduced by warming up and warming down, uh, but it's this kind of tightness in your muscles after you've been training. So post-training stretching and keeping active between workouts is really, really crucial. Um, Hopefully we'll have a bit of time later to talk about uh, keeping moving between sessions. So avoiding what we call the active couch potato phenomenon, which is where we might exercise a lot, but then we sit down for the rest of the day. And so we need to try and avoid that because movement is medicine. So keeping active all the time is great. And also don't forget about other factors. So it's important to think about your diet. If you're starting to do some more training, you may require a little bit more protein in your diet. You're definitely going to need to make sure you're sleeping well enough. And also, crucially, keep yourself hydrated because there's a higher risk of dehydration if you're doing some additional training that you haven't been doing before. Let's talk, talk about the, the, the factor of, sort of, um, of work then. Where a lot of people going starting to come back into work now. A lot of people still working from home. And, and I know that you've written a, an article on this. Uh, how important is it that we are not just doing our exercise in, in the evening, which, which I know a lot of people will suddenly think, well, I can't do it throughout the day. But you can, can't you? Yeah, of course. I mean, exercise is, is, is as I said, exercise or medicine. Exercise is medicine. Movement is medicine. So it's important that we involve ourselves in this kind of activity. And that's been highlighted a great deal during this pandemic. Um, and hopefully people are more aware now of themselves that they need to keep active and, and keep exercising. So we need to be doing, um, you know, a, a minimum of 30 minutes a day of moderate intensity exercise. So that could be, you know, we've spoken before, that could be simply walking, 
cycling, going for a jog, even some kind of intense gardening or cleaning would be would be counted in that. The, the risk is, is that even if we do that kind of exercise, if we then spend the rest of the day sitting down, um, you know, and I, I'm sitting down at this moment, so I'm guilty of it. I'm sure you probably are in the States mm. as well. Um, and, and lots of people now, over 50% of the UK population now working from home. Um, so we're spending far more time sitting down. You know, I'm not walking to the station and commuting as I usually do. So we've got, we run this risk of, of sitting down. And, and sitting is a, is a real uh, independent risk factor for a range of conditions, uh, including obesity, certain types of cancer, heart disease, stroke, uh, et cetera. The list goes on. So it's, it's also important not only that we participate in regular physical activity, but we also are aware of the fact that when we're sitting down, um, we need to take some kind of precaution. So I've now just stood up. Um, so I'm walking around my front room while I'm talking to you. And it's little things like that. So we need to be thinking about every 30 minutes that we're sitting down, you know, stand up and give yourself a five-minute walk around or a break. You know, every hour, give yourself a little bit longer. Um, you know, if you can go for a, a, a walk a couple of times a day, you know, that's fantastic. Combined with your regular physical activity, that's really crucial. And some other factors as well, there's an increased risk of suffering from musculoskeletal pain and discomfort while we're sitting down. You know, we've all sat down for a long period of time, maybe previously in the cinema or watching TV or on a plane or something, uh, or just on the long commute. And we know we start to get little bits of backache, our legs start to ache a little bit. So it's really important that we adjust our posture all the time. So, um, you know, the, this usual uh, thought that, you know, slouching was bad for us and we should remain upright. Um, there's now new evidence, and we've, we've covered this in a, in a paper with myself and some colleagues um, for the Sport and Exercise Science publication, is that postural variability, so varying how we sit throughout the day, is also really crucial. And that can take some of the strain off our back, um, and it can release some of the stress and tension throughout our shoulders and necks and, and upper body. Um, so, yeah, it's not just um, taking that regular exercise. It's also making sure that we, we try and maintain some kind of activity throughout the day. You mentioned you mentioned stress in a different context there, but I, I, I want to just quickly come on to to the the mental health aspect of it because everything that everything that we've mentioned here is 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 beneficial to both our our physical health and our mental health, and and I suppose as well at the moment it's important to if we if we are one of those people that hasn't been able to go to the gym after the last few months, it's important for our mental health not to sort of beat ourselves up that we will be you know less fit. Yes, absolutely. I, I think, first of all, those who've been training for a long time, I mean, I used, I used to run 400 metres um, internationally, and therefore, you know, when I stopped training competitively um, and then went for a run, I felt so much less fit than I had done when I was competing. And you're right, you can't beat yourself up about that. You have to accept that, you know, things have changed over time. And if you haven't been to the gym for a long time, uh, then when you get back into it, things aren't going to be as easy as they used to be. And that's fine. And you can just build yourself back up to it. Um, I think it's really important what you've mentioned about mental health. You know, we're far more aware of that now. And one of the things that exercise is really good for um, is, is reducing uh, dementia. Um, it's really good for uh, reducing uh, mental stress and anxiety um, alongside all those physical benefits that, that we've already spoken about. And I think we, we might think about those that are not exercising at all, um, getting real benefits from, from doing some kind of physical activity. We reduce... Um, sorry, we release endorphins, which are the feel-good um, hormones in our body, and we reduce cortisol, which is a stress-releasing hormone. So it's really beneficial for our mental health. But if you think about those people that haven't been to the gym and it's part of their daily routine, 
Mm. There's, there's mental stress that is put on people. You know, like I said, that might be their safe space. That's where they go to um, to meet people um, and also to to get rid of that stress that they've had throughout the day working. They've missed that for four months, so it, it's going to be really crucial for those people to get back. And obviously, we need to be safe going back into the gyms. And, and I know for a fact that a lot of the gyms are putting a, a whole range of um, of aspects in that will help that. And you know, be prepared when you go back to the gym. You might have to book before you go. Um, you'll probably have to arrive in kit because the changing rooms will be closed. Um, you won't be able to shower while you're there. You might have your temperature checked. So David Lloyd and I are trialling um, a thermo scanner as you enter. And there might be less gym equipment. So don't be upset if your favourite gym uh, piece of kit isn't available at that time because they may have moved it around. I know Pure Gym have, have moved some of theirs and spread them out a little bit. You know, And also, the, the other issue we haven't touched on is you, know, you might have to be prepared to wear a mask. So... You know, all, all these things, are, it's going to be a little bit strange, um, but be patient with, you know, the people that you're working out with and be patient with yourself um, in terms of, um, you know, dealing with the fact that you're, like you say, you're not as fit as before and things will be different. Um, and take some advice. You know, there's, there'll be instructors there that will be just as pleased to see you back, um, that they're <laughs> back giving advice and sharing their knowledge. Um, so if, if in doubt, you know, ask, ask an expert's help while you're there. Of course, always, uh, always such a pleasure and, uh, pleasure to talk to you, Adam. It's I, I think it's going to be, a, like you said, a welcome relief for everyone that you know, everyone that, that regularly uses the gym, or everyone that just is stressed out of their mind at the moment with everything that's going on in the world. So, thank you as, as always uh, for being on the show. We really appreciated your input over the last uh, last four months. So, thanks very much. Thanks, Robbie. Take care. Getting you home with Aqua Cars, the driving force in Portsmouth. Pre-book your stress-free journey home on our app, available in the App Store and Google Play. Uh, let's speak to, we spoke to someone, I remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, who had started up a business in lockdown. We got, we're going to speak to a couple of people who have done a very similar thing. Rona Rogers and business partner Jackie on the line. Hi to both of you. Hi, hi, Robbie. Hello. How are things? You well? Yes, we're both on fine form. Thank you. Good to hear. Well, um, it, it's been a busy few months for for you both. Uh, you you were one of the one of the very brave uh, people, that, that, or two of the very brave people that decided to set up a business bef- just before lockdown. Yes, yes. <laughs> Talk us through it. Well, Rona and I had, um, started working together kind of last year, sometime um, <clears throat> uh, selling on Amazon. Um, and uh, we were doing um, online arbitrage, so that's pretty much buying various products and reselling them then on, on, on Amazon at a slightly higher price and making a profit on the difference. And um, that went really, really well. But um, the back end of last year, we realized that um, we don't have a lot of control over the, um, over the products that we sell, um, on the profits. Um, we we, we buy, um, buy a product um, today, somebody else comes in on the listing and um, all our profit is eaten away. So we had very little control. So we decided we're going to see if we can't um, uh, start something ourselves uh, that we that we actually said, um, a product that we actually put together ourselves. Um, and we came up with this idea of um, luxury gift in a box. I see. So, uh... essentially, so essentially what it is that we sell is we buy... Um, uh, products from other manufacturers so it's going to be um uh, well-known um manufacturers of um primarily ladies toiletries um we do some uh, baby's gifts that kind of thing 
And um, yeah, so that, that, that's when we decided in January to start sourcing these things. Um, and March we started, I think it was about the second or third of March, we started uh, selling our first product. And yeah, a couple of weeks later, we went into lockdown. <laughs> Did you have any a, a, any sort of feeling that, I mean, we, we were all, I'm, I'm sure we can all sort of admit now to, to being a little bit ignorant, weren't we, and a little bit naive to, to what, what coronavirus was going to bring to us. Did you have any sort of inkling that, that things were going to go as they would? Did you think that this will just be sort of a passing thing that you'll be able to get through? Or, or was it, you know, was it something which you thought would be, it would be sustainable? regardless i tell you we had no clue no. absolutely no clue i mean we of course we knew that something was going on and i mean you'd be silly if you weren't listening to the news however you know who would have ever have thought that the entire world would be shut down <laughs> a couple of weeks later um we thought that there might be some kind of restrictions um imposed but we never for one minute thought what what happened was going to happen um, it really did come upon us, you know, quite unexpectedly. But having said that, <clears throat> we f- we found that because no one can get to the shops, it actually was a fantastic time to start a business just like ours. Oh, online, obviously, because we're online, we have our own website, um, and and you know, people still need to buy gifts. You know, if you can't go to the shops, people still have birthdays and new babies and um, you know, if you want to send something, uh, it, it is the way forward, I think. Certainly for the foreseeable future, I can't see it as going back to sort of normal uh, for some time. Of course. And, and, and I suppose so. It was a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks after you set up the business. Was there any part of, of either of you that, that just thought, hang on, no, now's not the time? Or, or did you or, or was it literally straight away you did think, right, OK, this is this is going to will be in our element? Do you know, it, it was it was a strange thing. We thought, <clears throat> when we first started this, we thought it was going to be a real slow, we had prepared ourselves for a real slow introduction to this. We uh, we had thought, you know, we're going to have some time. Oh, this is all about um, setting up in March, was all about um, what we call, refer to as Q4. So that's going to be the Christmas peak. So that's going to be October, November, December. Mm. This was all going to be a very, very slow build up to try and making ourselves and establishing ourselves in Q4. Um, what we weren't expecting was literally Q4 hit us about three to four weeks after starting our business. Um, and it has been like that ever since. Yeah. So it has just been manic. We have been so underprepared. Um, and we have um, the whole of lockdown pretty much. Um, I was in my house. Rona was we're quite fortunate um, um, in, in the way that we're set up and we both work from home. But um, I was sending everything in. Rona was ordering everything. I mean, it was absolutely manic. We didn't have any downtime during the whole lockdown period. We were just sending stuff out. Sure. Well, it, it's it's great to hear that. I mean, because I, I imagine setting up a business at the best of times is stressful, but let alone when when you do it. And then two weeks in, there's a there's a global yeah. pandemic. But I'm I'm so pleased that yeah. it's it's you know it's it's clearly worked out worked out well and given you a sort of a, a nice headache of um of being really really busy. Yeah. So I'm I'm really That's pleased. Really I'm, I'm, well, I'm pleased to see you both, and I, I hope it continues to, to go well. And thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, thank you, you very thanks much for having us. Have a good day. Bye bye. Ro- and you, Rona and Jackie, set up luxury gift in a box. We've got Karen, the CEO of the Elizabeth Foundation, on the line now. Hi, Karen. Welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be here. 
It's nice to have you on. Now, um, let's uh, let's let's start from from bef- sort of pre-lockdown, shall we? Tell us a little bit first about the Elizabeth Foundation and the work that it, that it does when there's not a pandemic on. <laughs> yeah, sure. So the Elizabeth Foundation is based in Cosham, and we are incredibly privileged to support young deaf children from birth up until they're five years old, helping them learn to listen through their hearing technologies and to develop spoken language. So something completely life-changing for them. Um, And at the same time, of course, we support their parents as they get to know what the impacts of hearing loss are and also raise their expectation for their child's future. Uh, and and how does this normally would would this normally work on a day to day basis? Is it sort of one to one conversations with the children themselves or their families that they sort of come in and have regular sessions? Uh, you're right on both counts, actually, Robbie. Though the families will come into our family centre, um, and we have a baby and parent group, a toddler group, and a preschool group. So the families will come in together in small groups of about eight children and their parents to learn together in a group but they'll also then come in for some very bespoke one-to-one speech and language therapy sessions with our just amazing speech therapist so it's a bit of both Um, and we also offer some online services nationally as well so that we can reach out to any family with a deaf child that needs us. And I, I mean, I suppose the, my initial reaction when you when you say stuff like that face to face, I assume that this that this was something that immediately was was unable to happen. Was it? I, I, that doesn't really sound like it was something that would have been gra- a gradual uh, decline. You would have, I imagine, overnight you would have had to stop seeing people. Is that how it worked? Yeah, absolutely. We found out, uh, as did all your listeners, I'm sure, that uh, the government guidelines were on about the 20th of March that we mm. were going to have to close our nursery session straight away so that we couldn't have that face-to-face contact so it was all about explaining that to our parents but also thinking immediately that these are really vulnerable children who are already isolated by their hearing loss and now ever more so by social distancing so how are we going to put in programs to support them and their families particularly at that first point Robbie we didn't even know how long the impact was going to last whether it was going to be a or whether it was going to be that much longer as, as we've all seen now. Of course, and I, and I imagine that must have been as, as harrowing and as tough it must have been for, for you. It must have also been really difficult for those people that are receiving um, your help because I imagine for a lot of them they, they really relied on it and they really rely on those sessions and suddenly having that taken away from them um, as such, such a brilliant sort of open door, that must have been, that must have been really tough for them as well. Yeah, do you know, lockdown was a really unsettling time for the children and for their parents. You've got to remember that many of them have not only hearing loss, but they may have additional disabilities or learning needs too. So they not only had to contend with the worries about the the impact on themselves personally, but about the virus as well, um, and how that would actually impact their development. Managing their hearing technologies, for example, if a hearing technology went wrong would they be able to get support locally to have those hearing technologies um, you know put back in place and some of our children were even awaiting implant surgery for cochlear implants and of course they weren't able to go ahead in some cases as well so it was it ran the gamut everything was a worry for the families well, you found a way around. It. Talk to us about how you um, how you sort of adapted and, and talk to us about let's listen uh, and talk. 
Yeah, do you know, I'm so proud to do that. Um, our staff were just really stepped up straight away. What an amazing bunch they are. Because we have this national online program, Let's Listen and Talk, it's a program that is particularly targeted at deaf children and their parents learning together when they can't actually reach our family centre. So normally that would be people who couldn't come in because they lived a long distance away or perhaps weren't able to come in because they had other practical needs around other children. So we were able to open that programme up immediately to all the families that normally come here to the foundation in Portsmouth. So all our local families received that same high level of support as we were offering to everybody else. Um, Now, alongside actually getting all the lesson materials online, we also very quickly produced a whole range of video materials with our teachers and therapists so that they could show the parents what would have been happening in class with your children and how would we have taught your child. So they knew what to look for so that when they did the activities at home, they could really understand what am I supposed to be getting from my child here? How can I help them progress? So we did the videos, gave them the online learning materials, and then very quickly we were phoning around all the families, offering Skype, Zooms, you name it, anything that we could put in place, we did it. And, and so what our staff have been a bit run ragged, but happy. Yeah, so. well, I can, I can, I can imagine. And, and what was the what was the response from uh, from the the children and the parents and the, their families? How did they how did they find it? Of course, you know, an amazing job by by all of you um, back at the Elizabeth Foundation to put it together. How was it received? Do you know, it was received really well. The families were obviously very overwhelmed, like any family out there trying yeah. to deal with the impact of it. But the, the response was so positive. I think because they could understand that so many families were not getting any help through no fault of their own. And here was the Elizabeth Foundation still able to talk to your original teacher here, your original therapist, and do those activities online. So the parents were really pleased. They had somebody to support them and to support their child. The children found it all a bit odd, some of them. They imagined, for example, that when they saw their teachers through the wonders of IT and they could see them on the computer, some of the littler ones really thought that they were in the room with them and kept trying to caress the uh, speech and language therapy (laughs) via the wonders of technology. Um, But it worked. And and it's something that has enabled us now to kind of think, well, how can we progress this in the future to give a blended service to all those families who need us? Well, I was going to say, so what are we, four, four, just over four months on, where, where, where are you at now? So in July, um, because the lockdown restrictions eased a little, we went out to all of our families to see what help they wanted from us and whether any of them would like to come back, much smaller class sizes, just so we could dip our toe in the water to see the practicalities of running smaller sessions. Mm. So what we did was we opened up to much smaller um, groups in July, offering those that couldn't come that continual online service, but bringing back some of our children in July. We thought the children would actually be very upset. These are children that have been with mummy and daddy often, uh, all day, every day. And we thought, actually, when we take them back from mum and dad, they're going to be really upset. Do you know, those children are amazing. They skipped into class, were just delighted to see their teachers and their friends, and they really were just learning, playing together, 
safely and securely with all the PPE that we've put in place. Um, and it was an absolute joy to have them back in the family centre where we could. Sadly, they're all on their summer holidays now, um, <laughs> but we're looking forward to hearing their happy chatter back at the Elizabeth Foundation from September, if we can, and if we can't, still make sure that we've got those amazing plans in place to continue to support them at well, home. Well, it must be it must be nice for for you and everyone, um, everyone there to have a little bit of a, a break. I imagine. I imagine it's been a, it's been a mad mad few months as it has for everyone. How would you reflect? How are you reflecting on it now that you get a chance to, to um, reflect? I, I think I'm reflecting on it by with a lot of yawns in between because I'm absolutely <laughs> exhausted to be honest with you, Robbie. But um, in some ways, it was such a it was such a strange time, wasn't it, for all of us that none of us knew what to expect and didn't know how long it was going to last. And you know, it was trialing new ways of doing things, new IT things that took us out of our comfort zone, and we had to do everything so quickly as well. Mm. We also had an awful lot of worries about um, how our income was going to be affected, and so every day seemed like absolute pressure. And that's just starting to ease off with the children not here at the moment we can focus on our finances and our strategy so uh, we know we've got a long way to go but we're looking back actually and thinking you know we're really glad that we did step up and do our best under those difficult circumstances of course well it's it's it's, it's really admirable what you uh, the, the sort of the innovation that you that you used and and because it's such a I, I, you know i I'm very ignorant to it, but I imagine it's it's so important often to you know to be able to really engage with with, with these young people and and their families, and and I imagine that was really tough. But thank you so much for for everything that you've given to the local community, and I know how much that they'll appreciate it. And, and thanks for chatting to us as well. That's perfect. Really pleased to speak to you today, Robbie. Thanks for the opportunity. You're very welcome, Karen. Catch up soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. A big thank you to all of my guests on the show this week and a big thank you to all of my guests that have been on the show in the last 20 weeks. We kicked it off on the 19th of March. We've had 20 episodes since then, this being the 20th. So a big thank you to you for having a listen. Of course, the uh, advice and the support does not stop there. Keep an eye on our website, expressfm.com, where we will have updates, we will have interviews uh, all posted up on expressfm.com. Also, Portsmouth City Council, if you want to keep in uh, contact with what they are doing just head to portsmouth.gov.uk and of course the latest government advice from the website gov.uk forward slash coronavirus so that is gov.uk forward slash coronavirus and portsmouth.gov.uk thanks for listening to the coronavirus special